Well, welcome again. I'm Mark Miller, one of the pastors here at the GraceWorks. We're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we just finished up a vision series. So a lot of you were here at least for part of it, if not all of it, kind of like who we are, what we're about. Uh, if you still have questions on that, obviously Pastor uh, Dave and I invite you to shoot us a text, a phone call, email us. We go out for coffee, go out for lunch. Uh, if you have questions about who we are, what we do as a church, uh, we want to be crystal clear and, you know, just kind of so you know who we are. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here in DuPont and the world, ultimately uh, through missions and those sorts of things, we want to tell you. So if you're new or newer, or if you missed some of it or you missed it all and you have any questions about who we are, uh, you can go to our website first to read about it, but then also we would love to answer any questions. So welcome. So glad that you're here. We just finished before the, the mission or the vision series, we finished uh, a study through first and second Peter. And uh, I know I enjoyed that. I learned a lot. It was, it was a lot of fun to do, a lot of fun to study. And, and so I hope that you were challenged by God uh, and are moving forward in your own personal walk with God because of the first and second Peter study. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that was beneficial for you. And we decided to go into Malachi. Uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Malachi. If you don't have a Bible, we have a grab a Bible table in the back. I want to invite you even now while I'm preaching, you can walk back there, grab one and make that yours. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we want that to be a gift from us to you. Uh, and so you can put your name in the front. You can start today taking notes and uh, that can be just a gift from us to you uh, at that table in the back. There's a little stack of Bibles. And so we want to make sure that everybody has God's word in their hand. Now I know there's a lot of phone apps. So if I see you out there, I'll assume that you're not checking the weather or Facebook, but that you're on uh, on a Bible app because there are some great ones. I know I use those throughout the, the week too. So um, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, that's where we're going. And today we're, we, I got a couple of goals in mind. The first is to give you some introductory context to the book. So you know, what the, the book is all about, who wrote it, who it went to, all those kind of things. And then we're going to tackle the first five verses. Um, and so it's a four-chapter book, so it's kind of a shorter book. Uh, and today we're going to get into the first section, these five verses. And, and let me tell you just a little bit about Malachi. If you haven't read it or studied it before... That's okay. We're going to do it now. It's an Old Testament prophetic book, so kind of hard to understand in some ways. So hopefully as we learn as pastors and we share it with you, it makes a little bit more sense and challenges you to think. But this is a book that's filled with questions. Chapter 1, there are 10 questions asked. Chapter 2, there are 7. Chapter 3, there are 6. Now, chapter four, when we're finishing out the series, it's a little more foretelling or prophetic. Uh, and, and there's some declarative statements made by God through Malachi. Uh, but the questions are going to happen in these first few weeks as we look at this book uh, in, in chapters one, two, and three. So in light of these questions that we're going to read, that we're going to study, what was, what was God trying to speak through Malachi to Israel? And how does this relate to us? Um, as we look at those, we want to ask ourselves questions. 
Okay, that's the big idea of the book, question yourself, right? And, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more today because it's the introductory uh, sermon, but I also want you to kind of keep that in mind as we move through it. So what's the big idea of this book, uh, and, and, and how does God use what he spoke through Malachi to also affect our lives, you and I today, right? What is, what's the wisdom What are the truths that God was imparting to Israel, the original readers or hearers of what Malachi had to say? And then what is he trying to say to us? Because we have this book filled with questions and responses. And so I'm sure that you, like I, have heard kind of the narrative in society, maybe even in your extended family or your workplace, or even in your own family at home, statements like these. Hey, you do you, right? Whatever you want to do, you just do. Make yourself happy, right? You may have had people tell you, don't tell you, don't tell me how to live my life, right? You don't, you don't get to tell me how to live my life. The, the encouragement to just go with your gut. Whatever you feel like doing today, do that. Or somebody may have said when you're trying to give them some, uh, encouragement or, or, uh, advice, they may have said, Hey, when I want your opinion, I'm going to let you know, right? I don't need to hear from you. I don't need your help. I've got this on my own. A big one now in society is, Hey, do what makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Or even the trust yourself, right? You think about it, you make the decision, whatever feels right to you or seems right, trust yourself. You got this, right? And, and, and if you find yourself at all on social media, you're going to see that, right? You're going to see that attitude. But I think you see it everywhere. Anytime you're engaging with people, whether work or in the neighborhood or even in your family, you see this kind of attitude, this kind of prevalent thought process. And yet I see something radically different in the Bible. It's still incredible, but it's radically different, right? It's not about what you think or about what you want, but what is God trying to tell us? And and as Pastor Kevin and I looked at this passage this week and prayed through it, we were reminded of some scriptures. I'm not going to put them all up there, so if you are taking notes, you want to jot down their references. If not, just kind of absorb the big idea or the big thought of what I'm trying to say here. Because this is what I see when I read through scripture. In Psalm 19, the psalmist, David, asks, who can discern his errors, right? His own. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. In other words, I can't look at myself and do that for myself. That's Psalm 19, verse 12. In Psalm 139, the same psalmist, David, pleads with the Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David knew that he couldn't do it for himself. He needed God to direct him, right? Twice in Corinthians, Paul, the author there says, examine yourself, question yourself. If you're making a decision, don't assume that it is right. First Corinthians 11 verse 28 and second Corinthians 13 verse five. We're supposed to question ourselves in light of God's wisdom, God's truths. 
he also, Paul, extorts the Galatians, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Galatians 6.3, the encouragement is to question yourself, test yourself against what God has to say. In Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah says, let us test and examine our ways. This is exactly what, what we're, we're seeing here. Uh, and, and then he, his encouragement is return to the Lord. When you test your ways, when you examine your own thoughts, You're going to find that if they are varying from God's, you need to return to the Lord. And finally, that same prophet Jeremiah put it this way. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if you take just those few references that I just shared with you, and you compare them to the advice we looked at first that the world would say, right? Who are we to think that we, on our own, can make wise decisions? Can make decisions that do anything but please or honor ourselves when God is calling us to something greater? The Bible is rife with examples of testing ourselves, examining our hearts, searching our motives, scrutinizing our actions against God's wisdom, his plans. I hope that's making sense to you because to me it makes a ton of sense. And as I look at my own life, there are times when I make decisions on my own and a lot of times they don't end well, right? Or if I'm ignoring what I should be doing and I go the opposite direction, it doesn't end well. It's through careful self-examination that the believer walks in the path of discipleship. The often difficult path. When things are going rough and tough in your life, you're going through the trials, the temptation, the tribulation, right? When we looked at the book of Revelation, after studying the book of Daniel, we saw that we are promised, if we place our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, we are promised a tough life, right? We're not promised the easy street, And that, again, is throughout Scripture. So if we know these things, it'll help us as we move forward in our Christian walk. Because what God gives to us is incredible. And in in view of trials, we can still stand up and say, God is good. What he has given me, what he is doing in me, where he is moving me to, and what eternity will look like is good. Well, Israel finds herself in rebellion against God and, and... and, uh, and so this rebellion has caused them to need someone to bring a hard word to them. And that's what Malachi is, is doing here. He's not going to pull any punches. And our hope that through Malachi, this question asking style, uh, you will all accept the challenge to question yourselves. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your own thoughts. Don't trust your own motives. Don't trust your own self. Right? Instead, use the topics that Malachi addresses here to question yourself. And, and the, the processes that we learn in, in light of these specific areas, we can apply to everything in our lives. Again, like we were singing about, about what my prayer was, is we need to be focused on the cross. Amen? Right? Jesus, the gospel, our savior. And in light of that, make all of our decisions. 
how we treat people, how we treat societal issues, how we raise our kids, how we move forward, right? All those things in light of that. So we're going to look at the first verse here and get some introductory information and we'll go through that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, the, the next four verses and the first kind of question that we see there. So it's a short verse, just a few words but we actually get a lot there. It says the Oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Okay. So a normal introduction here, but there is a lot of stuff that's happening in this specific, uh, verse alone. We see the author is the Lord through Malachi. This isn't just somebody writing down their musings or their thoughts or their wisdom. Malachi wasn't just a smart guy that observed things going on in Israel and then wrote them down and gave them. No, this is the Lord speaking to a prophet. Okay. And and so we see this at the end of the new Testament. We have these prophetic books where God is giving a word to a prophet who then delivers it to Israel, his chosen people. Right? So this is, this is something that has happened, and this happens to be the last prophet. Right? So we see the author here is, uh, the Lord through Malachi. I was wondering why it was so hard to see. I didn't have my readers on there. So here we go. No, much better. Uh, the second thing that we see here is, is Malachi is the author, and the timing of this we know is post Exile. Now, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, there was a lot of destruction going on. They had taken Israel, basically demolished Israel, and taken captive and sent them to all their cities, the the Jewish people, so that Israel couldn't regroup and fight back against them. So this is post that. God had promised that this exile would last for a certain amount of time and that they would be able to come home and they were. And, and so they, they were, this is written post exile. And we know that for a few reasons as we go through the book, we'll see that there are a couple of things that point to certain dates. Um, but they are addressed as Israel. That's the audience. And, and before that they were Israel and Judah. Post-exile, they were just Israel. And so that's one of the first things that points to the post-exile time of writing. Is the audience is Israel. God's chosen people. It had split uh, before before they were uh, taken over by the Babylonians, the Assyrians. They had split into two different countries. You had Judah and Israel. When they came back afterwards, they were just Israel. So we see that there. It says it's an oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And so again, that points us to this post-exile time. The temple's been restored. It's been rebuilt The priesthood has been put back into place. Israel as a nation is up and running. And so it gives us a time period of this 450 to 430 BC. The last book, the last communication from God through a prophet to his people before Jesus Christ came to this earth. And so the estimation there, 450 to 430. Like I said, the audience is is Israel, God's chosen people. Malachi is addressing Israel. And and we know that's significant, that it's not Israel and Judah. And, And he's bringing a word to the entire nation. 
And he's declaring God's word to the people. Not, not two kingdoms, not two different groups of people, but one. And these are the covenant people of creator God. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. There was a covenant made with Israel. You are my chosen people. And we continue to see that there. The kind of book is prophetic. It's a minor prophet. And major and minor prophets are broken up by, not importance, but size of book. It's a short book. Okay? The longer prophets, the major prophets, uh, are located at the beginning of this section. There's five of them. And then the minor prophets follow. And so, even though it's a shorter book, it doesn't mean that Malachi was any less important or used by God. To bring specific information to Israel and ultimately to us. He is declaring on behalf of God. And there are two aspects to prophecy. There's foretelling and forthtelling. And we will get into that as we go through this book. Now let's talk about the word oracle. This is a common phrase regarding prophecy. It's a word that, that literally translated means utterance. Right? Speaking what God has spoken to him. There's also a meaning of burden. When you use the word oracle. When it's been used throughout the prophetic writings. Uh, and why was this a burden? Well, let's look at the reason for this book. The reason for this book is that the people have strayed from God. And turned against his ways. They're turning away from God. And so Malachi is bringing an oracle or a burden or a heavy word from God to his people. God sees his children, his chosen uh, people wandering away, continuing on in rebellion. And he chooses Malachi to bring this word. They need a rebuke. The life of a prophet was not easy. If you read through those books, you'll see that most of the time, they're bringing bad news. Now, hopefully it's followed by good news, and we'll see that in Malachi, but they're bringing a heavy word to the people. They're confronting people with their error, or their rebellion, or their sin. Now, as a pastor, I am not putting myself on the equal level of this heavy burden, this oracle, but I can relate. When I'm sitting there in my office and I'm thinking about this, um, there are times when I have to bring heavy words to people who are in my church congregation. Whether they come to me or, or I find out about it, I have to bring a heavy word to them. I know it's not comparable totally to what Malachi had to do, but I understand this. It's not necessarily fun. But the goal, getting that relationship right with God, is important. And it's worth me being uncomfortable. It's worth a hard word. It's worth the potential of rejection for me to be faithful to God to talk to someone about sin, about sin in their life. Malachi was given hard words to deliver to Israel, and he faithfully did it. And this was indeed a burden for Malachi to bear. 
The last thing I want to point out before we hop into these next few verses is the style of the book. It's, it's kind of argumentative. It's an interesting book to read. Uh, after today, I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not a ton of you, but a few of you are going to go home and you're going to want to read these four chapters. In light of these first few verses, you're going to go, wow, I can't believe I've never read that. And in light of the idea of 23 questions in the first three chapters and that the style of this prophetic book is argumentative, Right? There's, it's, it's a, a statement and then rebuttal questions and then proof being given. Right? It kind of reminded me of lawyers and, and courtroom talk. And I thought, man, I didn't sign up for that, right? I'm a pastor. I'm not a lawyer. I, I, how do I even work my way through this? I mean, and yet it's a neat book in the sense that it's written this way. And so for those of you that are kind of wired that way, uh, this is going to be an exciting book for you. Um, and so the, the typical format, there's going to be a statement followed by rebuttal questions. Uh, there might be some objections to the questions by the hearers and then followed by the proof. Okay, and that's what we're going to kind of see here as we go through this. So you have a little bit of context as to who Malachi was, why the book was written, when the book was written, who it was written to originally, right? And we always look at how it was originally written, and then we see what applications we can use. But we want to know who originally got the word and what God was trying to tell them, right? And, and so we're going to use that context these next few weeks as we look at this book. And so today though, the the simple question I want you to ask yourself today is, does God love me? That's what we're going to be thinking about today. That's the way Malachi opens up because we're going to find out. I'm kind of giving you a little spoiler here. It's important for Israel to know that God loves them so that then when the hard word is brought, they will listen to it, right? How many of you as parents know that it's so important to love on your kids, to train them, to teach them so that when you do bring correction, they know who you are, right? We don't ever want to be the kind of family where, where one of them is the disciplinary and only does that. When your dad gets home, you're going to be in big trouble. Or when your mom gets home, you're going to be in big trouble uh, and set one person up that way. We want it to be a win all the time as parents, right? In the sense of if I have to correct my children, I want them to know why. I want them to know that I love them. And that the only reason I'm bringing this hard word is because they need to change their way right and make it right and move towards God and so that's what's going to happen here ask yourself today does God love me we're going to read through these four five verses here four verses and and then we'll take a look at them starts out I have loved you says the Lord but you say how have you loved us Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals in the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever, your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Verse two starts out telling us strongly, 
I have loved you. That's what God is saying to Israel. Again, he's setting the stage for the rest of the work that Malachi is going to have to do in their hearts. Okay? So he's setting that stage. It's past tense, but he's not saying that he used to love. He's saying, I loved you. I've loved you. It is pointing to the fact that it is a continual thing. I have chosen you. I love you. He is pointing out the fact that his love has been practical. It's been deliberate. uh, And it's shown itself in how he has continually acted towards Israel. And if you ever doubt God's love for Israel, you need to read the Old Testament. And I'm talking Genesis through the end of Malachi. Read that thing in order and you will see a God who continually reaches out to his children, who loves his children. And every time they err and move away from him, he lovingly brings them back to himself, right? And sometimes bringing them back to himself is painful and it is difficult, but it's always in love. He has loved Israel. The word loved here is in the perfect tense, which means it's complete. It's a completed action and it's got continued ramifications. There's no varying. There's no doubt in this. God has proven his love for Israel. And if you doubt that today, like I said, you need to read the old Testament. This could have easily been translated I have always loved you. And for you people that are sitting out there that are approximately my age, you remember that song? Kevin and I sang that this week, right? I have always loved you. Like, we we are loved by God, and we always have been. And Israel should have known that. But here we see the first of many rebuttal statements. Israel fires back to God. Oh, yeah? How have you loved us? Israel is so nearsighted that they have forgotten how treasured they are. They have forgotten the stories. They have forgotten what just happened coming out of the exile. The history of Israel demonstrates pretty clearly that Israel, much like children, are oblivious to God's love for them. Sometimes the words that our kids say, questioning our love, it's just like, do you live in the same house as us, right? How could you say these things about your mom? You know she loves you. How could you question the love that I have for you? And yet that is what Israel is doing here. Again, we know that they had just come out of an exile where they were being judged for their sin and their rebellion. They were telling God, we don't need you anymore. We don't want you anymore. We love the other gods from the other nations. And so God pulled back his hand and allowed for his children to come under the heavy hands of other nations, Babylon and Assyria. The exile was a punishment by God for their rebellion. But in his grace, he brought them back to his homeland and restored the nation. The fact is that God had chosen Israel as his people. And and through the Jews, Messiah would come and save all mankind. That's the story of the Old Testament. Pointing towards Jesus Christ's coming. Pointing towards the cross. Pointing towards redemption of a rebellious, sinful people. 
Israel had worshipped false gods. Israel, when they were saved from Egypt, grumbled and said, put us back down in Egypt. We would rather be back down there being slaves to the Egyptians because at least then we have food. Forsaken his commandments over and over and over again. God had told them, this is the best way for you to live. This is what you need to do. And yet they continued to break those things. The way that it just, it was continually in God's face in rebellion, contrary to the love that God continued to extend to them. You have forgotten again, says the Lord, and you need to be reminded. I have shown my love for you time and time again. And and the rest of our text here today is God's proof of that. And you may have said, man, when you read through that, I found some things troubling. There are some things I don't understand. And that is okay. Hopefully it'll clear it up today uh, with what I have to say. And and you'll understand it a little bit better. God says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And, And that idea of God loving some and hating others makes us uncomfortable. And so it'll be helpful for you today for us to do a little bit of a word study. How many of you have studied Hebrew? Because I might invite you up to the stage to help me, okay? Because I didn't. My time at Multnomah uh, University, there was some Hebrew, there was some Greek. But I am not claiming to be a Hebrew uh, scholar. But we have access, incredible access. So as as Pastor Kevin and I worked through this this week. We were pulling in all sorts of resources, and this is what we found. The word study that we thought would be most helpful today um, is, is the idea of love and hate. Ray Clendenden says, terms for love, if you're really concerned with this, listen up here. Terms for love, in quotations, were common in ancient Near Eastern treaties as synonyms for covenant loyalty. Okay? I know there's a lot of big words in there, but you gotta get this, right? In Mesopotamia, right? So not even, we're not even talking about Hebrew now, but in Mesopotamia, there were texts that also show that this idea of a divine love was motivated or the motivation for the choice of their kings. Okay, same word, same concept, same idea. Likewise, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, especially in Deuteronomy, we see ahav, love, often is found in texts dealing with choosing and with faithfulness. Okay, so we have to understand what, what we are reading here and the limitations of the English translation. So when I listen to that, when I listen to what we read this week and what I just explained to you, the word that I hear is choosing. So when we read love and hate, they should be really understood in their covenant sense, the covenantal sense of the word as chosen and not chosen. And according to Paul in Romans 9, okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. In according, uh, according to Paul in Romans 9, verse 10, this choice was made before these twins were born, Jacob and Esau. Let's look at what Paul says here. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, 
either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God went against the standard rules regarding the priority of the firstborn. Right? He chose Jacob. Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel. God's chosen people, right? And and so this is the beginning of the chosen people. This is what Paul is talking about in light of what's written here in Malachi. Notice, uh, though, that it had nothing to do with Jacob's performance, position, or power. It was based on God's prerogative. It had nothing to do with Jacob's performance, his position, or power. It was based totally on God's prerogative. In in fact, in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, it says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you or has chosen you, right? This is so cool. And, and, and it says there, and chose you. For you were of the fewest of all people. Israel, God chose you, not because of your might, not because of your strength, not because of your position of power, but because of his love, his choosing of you. This is incredible. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king in Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord is your God or the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. If God only bestowed his grace on people who deserved it, that wouldn't be grace at all, would it? What is the definition of grace? Undeserved favor. The cross is all about grace. There is nothing that we can do on this earth to deserve our savior to die on the cross, to take our sin onto himself, right? To die the criminal's death. It was grace extended to you. You are chosen. You are being given a a, a gift. You are loved, right? No one deserves it. And yet God chose Jacob. And and he, he chooses you. But we'll get to that in a minute. Let's get back to this passage here. God chose Jacob. And Jacob would establish the nation of Israel. God's chosen nation. So I hope that concept, that idea, shed some light here. Uh, This also meant that he didn't choose Esau. Okay? It's a hard word, right? And Esau would establish Edom as a nation not chosen by God. That's what Scripture is saying here. This isn't my interpretation. This is what we see there. So this is the illustration that Kevin and I came up with this week. Okay, I admire, respect, and yes, I can even say I love many women here in our church, right? I love you guys, but I only chose Gwen to be my wife. 
to be my beloved. I made a covenant with her before God. That covenant was with God, in my opinion, to be true to her and to show her my love for as long as I live. I chose Gwen. But I didn't choose any of the other four billion women in the world, right? I chose just Gwen. So in the Hebrew sense of this word, I have loved Gwen and I've hated the rest of y'all. I didn't choose you, right? Okay. I I mean, this is, this is what we got going on here. God has extended his love to Israel by choosing them. God has continued to provide for them story after story after miraculous story in their history, right? Which is recorded in the old Testament. You see God's loving hand on them. And what did they do? They continually walked away. They spat in his face over and over and over again. They thought their way was the best way. Think back to the garden. If you're a Christian, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You accept the Bible as God's word, right? We go all the way back to the garden of Eden. First man, first woman. What do they do? They choose themselves over what God had set out as the perfect path in their life. It's nothing new. When you find yourself in sin, when you find yourself in rebellion, when you find yourself tempted, it is nothing new. It doesn't make it right because everybody else has done it or is doing it, but it's nothing new. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. We've had some incredible sunsets. I hope some of you have been able to enjoy a few of those, right? Imagine this beautiful garden. Perfect, no sin yet, walking with God. And yet God said, hey, just don't eat of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. If you, if you eat of it, you are going to be like me. You're going to be able to know the difference between right and wrong. Like he lays it out for them. All they have to do is know, hey, God said no, and I get all this incredible, right? I got everything in the garden. I'm walking with God in the evening, right? We're communicating. We're, we have an intimate relationship, right? We are close. This is the tightest community group ever, right? This is love, and yet they rebel. They say, no, I want to know. I want to be like God. There's something, there's something about that. So the question we're looking at today, does God love me? Does God love the children of Israel? And, and, and that proof that he wants to give before he brings the hard word is yes. Now, verse four is foretelling of future events. We see that at the idea of Edom, right? The non-chosen. And if they rebuild what God will continue to do to them, right? So it's kind of hard to read, but as the children of Israel, they have to realize we are chosen by God. That means others are not. We are in a covenantal relationship and God has promised to take care of us. In verse five, Israel's uh, response to his judgment, it, it will result in praise to God who judges the wicked beyond the border. So like it, it, it's the completion of this idea of love and being chosen. God's love for Israel should not be questioned. In other words, he's given them a proof text that lasts from the beginning of the Old Testament. It's recorded throughout that God continues to love them. 
He pointed the people back to historical events to prove his love. I chose Jacob. Jacob became the father, Israel, right? My chosen people. I chose him. I loved him. And he pointed back to that. You are my beloved people. Now, how does this apply to you and I, right? We want to apply what we're learning. We want to see what God is telling the original reader. And then how does it apply to us? Like Israel, you and I might be tempted to look at the chaos in our life. Everything that's going on. The disappointments, the hurt, the pain, the health problems, the loss, the death. Everything that we've had to endure, and we might question God's love for us. We forget what he has done and continues to do, and we need a reminder so to the, the question of, of, does God love me? I hope when you walk out of here today, you can say, yes, I know this. I knew this beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%. But maybe a better question to ask yourself today is, do I really believe that God loves me? It's easy to say, God loves me. He sent Jesus. I've accepted the free gift of salvation. But when we really think about it and we really believe that God loves me, how does that then affect our daily life? God is speaking through his prophet to you right now. As you read those words, although they were to Israel originally, he is speaking to you. He says, I have always loved you. Just like God chose Jacob before he was even born we are told in scripture that he has chosen you he has called you before the foundations of the world to be his child just like he chose Jacob before he he could even do anything right or wrong he was in his mother's womb he chose you while you were still a sinner in rebellion running from God and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you it was an act of amazing grace based solely on God's prerogative not based on what you did not based on a power of position uh, or who you are in this life it was his choice to love you and his love is, is perfect and it's accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished And what he accomplished there on the cross continues on. It's still going on today and will go on for eternity. Salvation of those who believe. And in the middle of your current trial, maybe what you're going through right now, you might have asked God, do you really love me? Are are you even seeing what's going on in my life? Why is my life so bad? Like Israel, how have you loved me? Well, Jesus' death and resurrection is that point in history. Malachi pointed back to Edom, to Jacob and Esau. Well, today I'm going to point you back to the cross. He took your place on that cross. He took the penalty of your sin. He chose you to receive his perfection, his righteousness, his holiness. 
God chose you and accomplished his choosing through Jesus' sacrifice. And for that, we have to look at that, the reality of that, the truths that are there, and realize how amazing that is. What a gift that was from him. And and so here's the challenge today. Ask yourself, am I acting like I truly believe that God loves me? Just like God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and, and then gave them the law, he's delivered you from the penalty of sin, and then he asks you to follow him. Jesus said, follow me to his original disciples, and he's extending that same call to you. He shows his love. And then he asks for you to love him in return. He chooses first. And then God asks us to choose him. And to choose the lifestyle that he's laid out. This is what we will see in this study of Malachi. Over these next few weeks. That God has some serious sin issues with Israel. But he starts out by affirming his love to them. So hopefully that's what you've seen today. And likewise, we must be motivated by God's love for us, you and I, right? So that it'll influence the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we think. And that's the challenge. To question yourself, to search your heart, to ask God to search your heart, uh, to help you see the motivations. To answer an important question, does my life reflect a sincere belief that God loves me. So that's my challenge for you today. Through this week, ask yourself, does my life reflect the way that I live, the way that I think, the way that I act, reflect a sincere belief that God loves me?